Amen. Well, it is so good to be back among you all after uh, a week well spent in the sun. I read three books while sitting on the beach this week, so uh, lots of lots of just downtime doing nothing. And I know that makes all of you terribly jealous, and I'm sorry about that. Um, but I know it is really good to be back. I, I miss being among you all and being with the saints. But um, one of the things that I've learned since I've been here at First Pres, which I am very glad this this is uh, among who we are as. A church and part of the values that we uphold is that we are, in fact, a Bible-believing, Bible-following church. That is to say that the, that the Bible is the Word of God for us and that is the authority of God and that we are not sh- shy at being able to say that and to declare that as truth. And to say that, it also means that when we say that we believe that the Word of God is also the authority of God, that that it's the way in which we look at ourselves and that we look at the world and that Scripture informs our worldview on life. And so it is something that we believe and that we hold on to. And it's, it's, it's this aspect of our lives that, that we will not turn away from, this important role of Scripture. And so with that in mind, as I think it is important and as a pastor and as a church that we need to take times where we actually go through extended portions of Scripture together as it is written so that we understand the full context of what it means. And so today we start that. We are going to start a 12-week walk through Galatians. And so over the next 12 weeks... My hope is that we as a body can come to understand more and more how letters may be put together, what the purpose of them, why were they written, and how do they apply to our lives as we just walk through this one letter of Galatians. And so also, if, you're, if you have the opportunity to participate in our community groups, you actually get to take what we're learning even a step farther. You're going to go deeper into what it means and ask more questions of the text that we're going to be exploring. And so Again, you can still plug into a community group if you haven't already signed up. Um, But what's exciting to me about Galatians is that this letter truly deals with the most important aspect, in my opinion, of our faith. Uh, And I don't think it's just of my opinion. I think everybody would agree that it is the gospel. The letter to Galatia deals with the gospel, what, what is the gospel? Why do we need it? How does it work? Why is it relevant? Why is it still relevant? It's the question ultimately of gospel in the lives of followers of Jesus Christ. And so on and on and on, Paul addresses this matter with his letter to the Galatians. And so, let's not waste any more time. Let's go ahead and read this passage that we're looking at today as we begin our study in Galatians over the next 12 weeks. This is from Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who gave himself for our sins to, to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom the glory forever, to be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Let's pray. <clears throat> Good and gracious God. Oh. The gospel, the good news, that which you brought to us, the marvel of the work of the Son at the will of the Father and the power of the Spirit. Lord, let us know this gospel. God, as we begin Galatians today and as we work through it, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would work in our eyes and our hearts to see and know the truth. The truth as it stands before us, God, that we would not turn away from what it is and what it is saying, and that when hard truth comes, we would accept hard truth. And when sweet truth comes, we would accept it sweet. God, that we would know that this gospel, it is the gospel, and only gospel for us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we dive completely into the scripture, I want to start with um, a little fact about myself. Um, many of you know that I like golf. Actually, that might be an understatement in a lot of ways. I, I really do love the game. But I also very much hate the game of golf. Uh, let, me, let me explain. You see, the reason I hate the game of golf so much um, is there's this one saying that, that you hear all the time, and you often hear it after you um, have hit your first shot off the tee box and you pull it into the woods. And then your second shot you hit and you chunk it out and it's still in the rough and you haven't quite made it to the fairway. And, and then you pull out the wedge to get it on the green and then you thin that and it goes over the green. And then once you're finally on the green, it takes you six more shots to finally get it in the hole. Um, there are moments that I hate the game of golf. And before you know it, you've you're on that first tee box on the first hole, you've already made a quadruple bogey, and you're like, well, this round is done. It is just so done. I'm not even going to try going forward. But often you hear, and often you remind yourself, and often you realize that there's always that one shot that keeps you coming back. It doesn't matter how bad of one or even 17 holes that you have, there's always one that keeps you coming back because it's that one shot that 
perfect shot, when you hit that perfect high draw off the tee and it lands and splits the fairway right in half, or the perfect spinning wedge that gets past the hole but then zips right back and you've got a one-foot putt, or when you drain the 40-footer from the other side of the green. Those are the shots that keep bringing me back into golf, and that's why I love this game, and it's also why I hate it. It makes you work for it. Golf is one of those few sports that I feel like every single moment is a grind for the next shot. There is no guarantee for what's to come next. And the reality is that really that one shot can pull you all the way back in. Even after shooting 101 bad shots, there's always that 102nd that you're like, yes. But it's it's only after spending countless hours and hours realizing, okay, I know that that shot is in me. Let me see if I can get it to come out more than just once. And so you grind, you do the grind, you go to the course all the time. You're at the range hitting as many balls as you can possibly hit until your arms are falling off. And you finally got your swing down and you know what your, your shot is going to do with every club in your bag. And you're like, I've got this. I'm going to go to the course. I'm going to do so well. That was my mentality when I went to play Harbortown. I'm going to do so well. Even that morning as I sat on the practice range, I was hitting the best drives of my life. I was like, there's no way I miss it. <laughs> but then you get to the tee box. <laughs> And then you're standing there, and you stand over that little white ball, and then you whiff, <laughs> and you miss your shot. It doesn't matter how much you practice, it seems like there are still moments on the course where you've made absolutely zero progress. Golf is a game that you can love to love, and you can love to hate. And you might be asking yourself, what in the world does that have to do with the letter of Galatians? What does that have to do with the gospel? And I think it actually has everything to do with it. Because here's the truth. The reality is that in golf, I work hard. I want to become better. I want to give the game of golf my very best. And I want it to return to me a good score. And in our faith, in our relationship with God, we often do the same thing. We oftentimes want to work for something in our faith. That if, not, if I'm not working to improve myself, I'm not trying to make myself better to do all the right things take all the right steps, then my faith isn't going to be great. Then my relationship to God, there's going to be something missing that maybe God isn't going to love me as much or grant me this blessing or give me this, this favor that I have to work in order to get and that I have to work harder in order to keep. Not to mention any slips or stumbles along the way result in me sliding all the way back down, losing everything, and having to completely start over. 
You see, oftentimes I have made my faith and my relationship to God like the game of golf, where I have to work hard to get little. It's transactional. There are the gives and the takes. The gives and the takes. Golf gives and takes. God gives and takes. But God gives and takes based on how good I am, on how much I'm doing, and whether or not what I'm doing is good enough. And maybe you hear that and you resonate with that, that, that thought, that thought that what you've heard maybe in your life is that your relationship with God also hinges on how good you are, on how much you do, on how much what you are doing is whether or not it is good enough. Or whether or not you've heard that maybe you just need to be some sort of good person. And being a good person is enough to grant favor with God. Maybe what you think or feel or hear is that it isn't enough. That simply you aren't enough. What you're doing isn't enough. Enough to receive God's love and grace, His mercy, His forgiveness. And whatever it is that you are looking for from God, somehow you aren't doing what you need in order to get it, in order to receive it. Maybe you felt that. Maybe you've wondered or desired. Have you ever just had the prayer that you threw up? You said, God, what do I have to do? I have, like a lot. Like a lot, a lot I've had that, God, what do I have to do to know X, to receive Z, to feel Y? What is it? What do I have to do to get that from you? And then the weight that you feel, the burden of, of your sin when you mess up, when you stumble, when you fail, and you start wondering to yourself, how do I pull myself back up? How do I get back on my two feet? Everything I've done, I've worked up to that point, and now I just mess it all up, so now i got to do it again. I think the truth is we've all been there at some point to some magnitude in our faith walk. We've all been there. We've all wondered. We've all asked the question, God, what do I have to do? I think the reality and the truth of, of Paul's letter today is, is it's nothing. I've got to remind myself that it's nothing. And it would be good if you also reminded yourself that too. That these thoughts of works, righteousness, and self-salvation is not gospel at all. And Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, wants them to know, wants them to understand, wants them to truly feel that to live is to know gospel. And that the gospel life is completely different than anything we've ever known. It's not the one that we've invented or created in our own heads with our own hands. But it's the one in our teaching this morning. And so let's go right into it. Paul opens his letter to the Galatians. And he says, I am Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. One of the first things that I notice in this letter is is Paul uh, says who he is. He says, I am an apostle. 
I'm an apostle. He gives his qualifications. But more so, he actually gives his identity. And when Paul is giving his qualifications, he's not doing so to be boastful or prideful, to get you to think more of who he is. He's doing so so that we have this understanding that he is one who has been sent. Apostle simply means in Greek, sent one. And so he is a sent one, but who is he sent by? Well, he says, not from men. Nor did he receive any of what he is giving, his message as the sent one, nor did it come through man. But who? Through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Christ from the dead. You see, Paul isn't coming from some sending body. As many of us would if we were sent on mission, we would be sent by a body. I stand here sent by the elders. I was established by the elders, sent by the presbytery of our church. All in ministry are usually sent by men. We, we get our calling from God. We know that God is in it. But Paul is an apostle. He is one who has been sent only by God with a message only from God. And so his identity, not just his, his position and his title and his authority, but his entire identity is in one thing. It is singular. It is that he is Christ's. And as followers of Jesus, our identity as well is also supposed to be Christ. You see, we live in a world today where we have all these identities being thrown at us, being thrust upon us, being thrust upon people. The world is trying very hard to tell everyone who it is that they should be. What the new cool thing is, we should put that upon ourselves. But, but Christ made it clear through Paul, and Paul is making it clear to us that as followers of him, our identity is in one thing and one thing alone. It is that we are his. And he is ours. That Jesus is our identity. And from no one else or from anything else do we receive it. And so as we pursue the gospel, we have to pursue the gospel with this knowledge that, that Christ is ours and we are Christ's, that Paul is an apostle sent through and from Jesus, and so everything he is saying to us is for us and from the Lord. And so he's speaking to us as if we already know where our identity is supposed to be rooted and grounded. Paul continues just a really short line, and he says, and all the brothers who are with me. So he is Paul the apostle who has been sent and he's writing to, to this church in Galatia, but he's also writing it with all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. You see, I think that's important to, to recognize and to notice because in Paul's letters, in all of his letters, he's always writing with other people. 
He's always present with someone else. Even though Paul is the sent one, even though Paul is the missionary, he has never excluded other people being around him, surrounding himself with other followers and other believers that can encourage him along in his mission. We too, as believers, should be having people come around us that are encouraging and helping us and partnering us partnering with us in our faith. I think we would be remiss to think that we could ever do this walk alone. And I will be the first to confess that I have believed that. I believed it just last night that I can do this alone. I don't need anybody else. And then sometimes I have that thought not by choice, but it's just thrust there. And maybe you felt that way too where You're like, I can do this alone. I can get through it alone. But it's not the way that we're supposed to do it. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. Paul is so clear that he doesn't do it alone either. And he's the apostle. He's the sent one. He makes it clear that he's not doing it alone either. And he's reminding us again and again of the gospel truth. That none of us are immune from straying from it. Because it's a human nature to do so. And then in the next three verses, Paul then lays out what is the gospel. He says, so grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the gospel truth, just in case we forgot it, just in case the Galatians had forgotten what it is that they're supposed to be believing, what it is that they're supposed to be holding true to, Paul goes heads and lays it out in his greeting what this gospel is. This gospel is a grace to you. It is a free gift from God. It is not something that you can earn on your own. It is not something that you can go and capture for yourself. It is free. It is a grace. And peace comes with it. You have been reconciled to God. There is nothing now at enmity between you and the Father. There is no more hostility between you. Your sins have been forgiven. There is peace. And it's from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. It is the work of Christ that did this. It is not any work of your own doing. It is nothing that you could do or obtain. It is simply that Jesus did it. He gave himself willingly. He sacrificed himself. He gave all that he is for you to deliver us from our sins and from the present evil age. And he did it all according to what? According to the will of our God and Father. According to God's will, his sovereign will in our lives, God chose that we should be saved. That his son would do the work that we simply could not do for ourselves. According to his will, he did it. All for the purpose of what? To whom be the glory forever and ever. It is God's glory in the work of salvation, in the good news, in the gospel. It is to his glory. It is not our own. 
It is not for us. You see, part of understanding the, glo the, the glory aspect of the gospel is knowing that when you try to work for your own salvation, for your own relationship to God, what you're saying is that I want some of the glory too. I want some of that glorification that was reserved for the Father. But it's not your work. It's not your work. It's His. It's His work for His glory. And I don't want to be a glory stealer from God. Because that's not the gospel. And here's how we know this. Because Paul then goes on in verse 6 and he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You see, in almost every single one of Paul's letters, he begins with his greeting, and then he gives a thanksgiving. He gives thanks to God for the people that he is writing to. But he doesn't do that here. He goes right into it. He goes right for the gut punch. Why? Because he was gut punched. When it says astonished, it quite, it quite literally means to be struck to silence. That is to say that he was taken so much by what the Galatians says, it is as if they had gut punched him and that he could not breathe or speak. Therefore, this is something grave. It has gravitas to it. This is so important that there wasn't time enough to say, thanks be to God for the Galatians. No, it's like, you struck me in the gut, and so now I am going to tell you you are wrong. The gospel is paramount. The gospel is the most important thing. He is astonished that they have chosen to desert the gospel that they heard, the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of God. And so he needed to remind the Galatians first of what that gospel was and that they have turned from it. And then I love what he says. He says in verse 7, after writing that they had turned to another gospel, he actually says, not that there is any other gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Do not be fooled. There is no other gospel. There is but one gospel. There is but one good news. And it, it is the one that we just shared. It is the one of Jesus and his work and his cross and his death and his resurrection. And it is our faith in him, in him alone that works in us. There is no other gospel. In fact, when he says they want to distort the gospel, that word distort quite literally means to reverse it. They want to reverse the gospel. And if you're reversing it, you're not just perverting it, you're turning away from it completely. It is no longer the gospel. 
you've turned away from it completely and gone to something else. And then he says, and this is what I mean when I said that Paul was talking about how he used his title not as something to be prideful for, but something to say about what this gospel means when he says it came from Jesus. Because then he says in verse 8, but even if we, meaning him and others, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. Paul is so willing to speak a curse even over himself if he were to bring a gospel contrary to the one that he had already preached to the people of Galatia. He knows so much in that the truth of the gospel is paramount, so much that there can be no other way that he is willing to curse himself if he would ever bring a gospel contrary to the one already preached. A gospel contrary to the truth of Jesus' work, God's will, and the Spirit's power. And he doesn't just say it once, he says it twice. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. I have to be honest, when I read those two lines back to back, it strikes some fear into me. It strikes fear into me because I'm, I'm one who stands here week after week and it is my prayer that for your sake, but mostly for mine, that I do not bring a gospel plus something else. That I don't try to share with you the gospel truth and then also say, and you have to do all these things to be saved. That's not gospel. And if I bring that to you, then I've brought you a lie. I've brought you false doctrine. I've taught you incorrectly. That's not to say that there aren't things that we do as Christians in our lives, but those things are not gospel. They're everything that follows from gospel. And so it's my prayer continually that I am able to come before you and give a gospel that is not different from the one of Jesus and his work and the Father and his will and the Spirit and his presence and power. Because if I did, not only would I be stealing glory for myself, I would be stripping God of his deserved glory in your life. And so what does that mean ultimately for us? I think there's three things that this really means for us. The first is that we need to know the true gospel. We need to know this gospel. Hearing this text today, it is clear that Paul wants the Galatians to know and he wants us to know that there is but one gospel, there is but one good news, and it quite literally is not that complicated. I actually think it can be summed up in this uh, passage with, with one little line. God's work, not mine. God's work, not mine. The gospel hinges on the fact that it is the work of God in our lives, not our work. And then when we flesh out that work, we can get to the truth of Jesus being the Son of God, 
living a perfect life, never sinned, took all sin upon himself and died upon the cross to pay a debt that we could not pay. But all that can be summed up in the line, God's work, not mine. That there is absolutely nothing that we can do to garner God's favor, affection, love, blessing, forgiveness, or mercy. The gospel is 100% him, 0% us. Romans 3, 23 through 26 reminds us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, not my righteousness, God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over our former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It was always and will always be about the work of Christ on the cross that writes our relationship with God. It will never be us. The second thing is that we need to test what we hear. There are going to be those that try to bring us a different gospel. They want to sell you a different identity. I don't care if it's the world. I don't care if it's another so-called church. I don't care if it's your next door neighbor. But there will be those that try to sell you a gospel that is not the gospel of God. That is not the gospel from Jesus. They will try to sell you on this new identity. Put on something different. Be something cool. Earn something through doing this. Whatever it is that you might have to do in order to be whatever it is that you want to be. Here are these steps. That's not gospel. There's only one way to be in the right relationship with, with God, and that's just to believe Jesus and the work that he did, that he did it all and you can do nothing. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 through 21 says this. It says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. You see, the context of this passage might be prophecy, but really speaking that Anything that is to be of encouragement, like the gospel, is indeed prophetic. And so the gospel is prophetic. And so if you hear someone that's trying to encourage you with a gospel that's not gospel, put it to the test. Does it ring true when you put it against the scriptures? Does it ring true when you put it against the true gospel? And if it's anything but the true gospel, put it aside. Cast it aside. Don't invite it into your life. The last thing is, in addition to knowing the true gospel and testing everything we hear, we need to check ourselves. I need to check myself daily. I need to think, is there something that I believe, that I've come to do, that contradicts the gospel that Paul has preached? Do I lack, and this is a good one, do I lack in the fruit of the Spirit because of something I'm believing about the gospel that is not actually gospel. Like, for example, in moments when my life is not exhibiting joy, is it because 
I believe something wrong about the gospel that is causing me to be harder on myself as a sinner than it is to be joyful in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Or does my life exhibit peace? Do I have no peace? Because I've believed that God's goodness hinges on everything being perfect in my life? Or will I not force that not gospel belief onto God because he's sovereign, he can do whatever he wants and still know that it's all going to be good? And I only say those two things because I've exhibited both of those within the last month. I've let joy turn into sorrow. And I've let peace be chaos because I believe something that wasn't gospel. And so we all have to do this work of checking ourselves and seeing where is it that something misaligns with gospel truth within me. And one way we can do that, again, I said this at the beginning, Paul surrounded himself with other believers. He had people surrounding him to encourage him and to uplift him because even he wasn't immune. You know how, he wasn't, how we know he wasn't immune? Because he also said, if I ever bring to you a gospel that isn't the gospel, I should be cursed. Which means he's also not immune to bringing something that couldn't be true. And so he says, actually, later in this same letter, and we'll get to it eventually, but he says, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And so what we need to do is we need to Know the true gospel. We need to test what we hear. We need to check ourselves. And when we do those three things, we will become more faithful to the truth rather than giving in to the lives of the gospel. Our lives will actually be richer and more full because of it, because we will be living out the fullness of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and will be far more glorifying to the Father, which is our ultimate end as man is that God would be glorified in us and that we would enjoy him forever. And who doesn't want that? I know I do. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we know. We know that you are good and that you continue to work in us and through us, that you have given the gospel for our benefit, but for your glory. God, that it is quite simple, that it is your work. It is not mine. It is your work. It is not mine. Let, we, let us remind ourselves of that truth daily and let us see how our lives would be changed for it. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.